This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday, the 2nd of December, 2021. So Norman, something kind of interesting has been happening over the last day or so. And of course, the whole world's trying to figure out whether Omicron is going to be susceptible to our existing vaccines or not. And the people who've made these vaccines have actually come out with some insights. But the thing that was interesting to me, at least, is that they seem to contradict each other. So we've got the CEO of Moderna saying that the existing coronavirus vaccines would be much less effective at combating this new variant compared with previous variants of the virus, which is obviously a huge concern. And then on the other hand, we've got the co-founder of BioNTech, which is, of course, the Pfizer vaccines uh, partner in in making that vaccine, saying, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not freak out. The vaccines that we have are probably going to be pretty good against this. So these are people who obviously know what they're talking about because they're literally the creators of these vaccines, but they also have a vested interest. So how much weight can we put on this, Norman? Well, not a lot. The um, You'd like to be able to trust the pharmaceutical industry in terms of what they say, but they are conflicted even in the best, with the best will in the world. So I think that um, it's interesting that they both say that. The, the best light that you can put on it is that there's still confusion, even with people who know a lot about this stuff. Surely both things can kind of be true as well. You can say, yes, there's, they are effective at protecting to an extent, but they might not be as effective as they were against previous variants. It depends what your objective is here. And... Um, and and what's likely and what's likely to happen? The answer is, and we've been seeing it all week. Don't know, don't know, don't know, don't know, don't know. Not sure yet. It's too early. It's too early. It's too early. Um, no, we're four days into this. I'm. Sh- I thought you would have all of the answers by now. I've been working hard. I've been in the lab. You know, I've, I've offered them help. You've had your pipettes out. Your white jacket. They just tell me to piss off, and uh, I'll come back <laughs> into my box. So here's what we know. We know that there are lots of mutations around the spike protein. We know that in an area called the receptor binder domain, which is where the virus connects to our bodies, there are critical mutations in there. And what the geneticists say, the virologists say, is that the mutations there are more significant in a genetic sense than they've seen before in a variant, which is what makes them worried that this could have a significant effect on vaccine escape. So it's it's really antibody escape, and by proxy, it's vaccine escape, because these viruses mutate against the antibodies that are generated in the person, whoever it was, that generated this particular variant. But by proxy, it's the vaccines. So they're seeing a big jump in the mutations there that they haven't seen before, and that makes them really worried. So in theory, it's there. Then there's anecdotal evidence that there's immune escape. So by immune escape means it's escaping the antibodies and escaping the vaccine. So there are anecdotal reports so far, and it's all anecdotes, it's not formal presentations of data, at least not that we've seen, which says that they're in South Africa, they're seeing reinfections. So they're seeing reinfections in people who've had previous COVID, and they're seeing breakthrough infections in people who've been vaccinated. Then you've got these two Israeli doctors who've been in Britain. They've been triple vaxxed. I think one of them's middle-aged. I'm not sure what the age the other one is. And they came down with Omicron. They're pretty well, but they've got Omicron. And then there's the laboratory experiments, which we're still waiting for here. So that's growing up the virus and exposing it to the antibodies from people who've been vaccinated or infected. And that's being done by the uh, vaccine manufacturers and in laboratories. And that will tell us 
the effect of antibodies on this virus and the extent to which they can neutralise it. But that's not the whole story. Yeah, as much as we'd like to have answers for you all immediately, science just takes time. And some of this stuff takes weeks, which is sort of a pretty short period of time in science terms, and sometimes it takes months. Yes, and it's not all necessarily bad news. So you find, well, the the neutralising antibodies don't neutralise it quite as well as they did. Well, what does that actually mean? And there's an interesting Indian study, which also shows you how long it takes, which is into the Delta outbreak in India, and they looked at the influence of AstraZeneca on, on, on this when it was clearly showing that the AstraZeneca vaccine was waning in terms of its antibodies, the antibodies in people who'd been vaccinated. And what they showed was very high protection against uh, moderate to severe disease. And what they credit that to is the T-cell response. So in other words, the memory of the spike protein from the AstraZeneca vaccine was enough to generate enough of an attack on the virus to control severe to moderate to severe disease. So just testing the antibodies doesn't give you the whole story. And that goes to the issue about what does vaccine escape actually mean. So if the antibodies don't work as well, you've still got the T-cell response up your sleeve, in a sense, or in your body. And that T-cell response may be far more important to, to contain moderate to severe disease. So while you might panic when you get the laboratory results, and we'll, we'll be generating that panic just along with everybody else and moving the omicometer up and down, but, but the reality is you've got to see what's happening in the real world. And so far, what we're seeing in the real world is nobody's reporting serious disease with this. Uh, So you get breakthrough, but the vaccines are holding the line. And that could be the T-cells. Can we just talk about that for a bit? Because the immune system is so complicated. I certainly don't understand it. I'd like to help our audience understand it more. I pretend to understand it. (laughs) So the antibodies themselves are sort of like those Y-shaped particles that kind of like clock onto part of the virus and kind of gum it up so it can't get into our bodies. That sort of mechanically makes a bit of sense. But what does a T-cell do? They do a couple of things. T-cells hold the memory of the um, of the virus or the vaccine so that when the body sees it again, they can mount a response. T-cells themselves can kill the virus. So it's not just antibodies that can kill the virus. You've got the backup of the T-cells. So that's really the army coming in. Um, and and getting going hand-to-hand combat, whereas the antibodies kind of lock on, as you say, lock onto the virus, they whistle up other cells, neutralise the virus, but you, you can actually get cells themselves attacking the virus, and that's what the T-cells do. So it's pretty important. And so what you're saying is that this paper is showing that there seems to be this T-cell response that happens with AstraZeneca, so even if the antibodies aren't there in the serum when they're looking at your blood, it's still they're still in the mix and you're still protected. You should have answered that question, not me. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> well, I could only answer because you explained it so well. And, and it's likely to be true, and it's going to be true of the other vaccines, vaccines too. Although the AstraZeneca CEO, um, clearly abreast of this particular Indian study, the other day said proudly that AstraZeneca may be responsible for controlling the infection more than it's been given credit for because of this deep T cell response. But the other thing we keep hearing about with immunity is that it needs to be boosted. And we've talked about we've talked about our booster campaign here in Australia, which at the moment it's six months from your second dose of whatever vaccine you had. You can have a dose of Pfizer. Uh, exemptions apply for people with um, special kind of immune needs. But the Brits have brought forward their booster dose uh, timeframe. They have. 
And that's and there are scientists and researchers here calling for the same thing. You can get the booster in theory from the clinical trials and what they've been approved for anywhere between two and six months. Six months is, if you like, an arbitrary cutoff generated from the Israeli data, and the Israeli data was really based on Pfizer. So you can have it sooner and get a very significant boost to your antibody response and presumably to your T-cell response as well. Do you see Australia bringing forward its booster dose, not necessarily in response to Omicron, but just in light of this other data? I assume that Atagi's under a fair bit of pressure to do that. They've been very conservative. Now that Britain's done that, they might follow on. I have no idea. I've got no insight into what they're thinking or doing. They must be getting close to the approval for 5 to 11-year-olds because the supply will be in the country um, early in the year, we are told. But booster shots, I think there's been a lot of scepticism about booster shots amongst vaccinologists, some vaccinologists in Australia. And I'm not sure that that scepticism is merited from the overseas data. So just a quick question from Kate before we wrap up, Norman. She's saying, if we've been vaccinated to recognise the spike protein, why are variants so concerning? Is it the spike that changes? Yes, right on first time. It's the spike that changes. And that's that's what everybody's focused on. Whilst there's about 50-odd mutations in the Omicron, 30 of them are in the spike protein or thereabouts. And some of them in this receptor binding domain, which is the key bit of the spike. In fact, it's the part that acts like a key to try to unlock our cells. That's right. All right. So, Norman, it's time to fire up the Dr. Norman Swan Omicronometer of panic again today. Are we feeling more or less panicked about this new variant than we were yesterday? I'm still walking around nervously, maybe maybe wondering who's pouring the pina colada, but I don't think I'm going to get there for a while. Okay, so the dial's coming down a bit more. Can we put a can we put a number on it? Scale of one to ten. Yesterday, I think we were at five point five. Um, I'd be at uh, five point one. Look how relaxed he is, everyone, in comparison to the beginning of the week. This is very heartening. The brown trousers are in the cupboard. <laughs> well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. Send your questions and comments to abc.net.au slash coronacast, and we will be back tomorrow. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>